You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hello, this is Abraham. And Ryan O. Welcome to Dude. Why We Do What We Do. You, I cut you, you off you there. Get me to it. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I haven't practiced it often enough or something. Sorry, man. It's just this automatic thing. Like. <laughs> That's great. Um, so we're going to start by talking about some things that you might be able to do. Um, so, for example, we're going to be talking about things like uh, texting without looking at your phone. I am so great at this under certain circumstances. The yeah. other day, actually, I was uh, purposely like fun showing off of just like writing somebody back at the bar because it was really loud yeah and like like super loud next to this uh this band and the speaker sure so i was like writing but i was like also looking over okay as i sent and then i sat it down and it like read perfectly and they were like what what (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's one example uh, and there's a joke about this on uh, the TV show Parks and Recreation where one of the characters is like, I think it's rude to not break eye contact. So he's texting while like staring at someone in the face <laughs> on his phone. I've done that uh, working before and people are like, what do you do? Like, I'm like, keep going, keep going. Yeah. I'm listening. Um, but I can't do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what else? What else? So texting without looking. Uh, typing on a keyboard. If you have learned how to the correct finger replacement, you're not one of those hunt and peck type yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then that would be one. If you can find the J and F keys. By right. Touch, yep. right. That's basically it. Yep. Uh, martial arts you have here? Yeah. Dancing? Sort of. I don't know anything about that. I, I mean, I don't really either, but it is one of those where when you practice those movements, you get better at, at doing it. Yeah. I think of gymnastic routines. Maybe there's something like that, like you haven't done for 10 years, some sports routine. Ooh, this one's good. Picking up drum, drumsticks or a guitar. When's the last time you picked up drum, drumsticks? <sighs> it's been a couple of years maybe. Yeah. But I bet I could do it and still be able to, yeah. to play okay. Um, yeah, for me, guitar, like I haven't really picked it up much lately. Yeah. What else? Uh, see when you're paying attention while driving, or I guess rather not paying attention while driving. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that you can navigate operating your car and what's probably one of the most dangerous environments people find themselves in on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and do so without even committing your full attention to it. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, you have here navigating your house without looking. I do this every day. Yeah. Multiple times a day. Especially I'm thinking about like at nighttime, if you need to go get something you, I mean, you might go like grab your flashlight in, in case there's like stuff on the floor, but you, you generally know how to get from point A to point B without like looking around the corner and be like, what's over there. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I was in high school and like into college, I got really into basketball and there were certain moves or like how you shoot and like spinning the ball on your finger was one of the things that I learned how to like do pretty well. Um, out of just pure jealousy because a family friend could do it way better than I could. Oh yeah. But now I can, I can pick up a basketball and just like boop right back into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even similar things to like juggling would fall into this category. Once you get good at that, it's probably something you can do with many different types of objects and, and even after a lot of time without practice. And then of course the one that everyone always says, you never forget how to ride a bike as the saying goes. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which I mean, it's true and untrue, and it's not one of those things where it's an absolute truth for everybody all the time, but there is some truth to it, which brings us to what are we talking about? We just probably, started listing examples for no reason. You probably saw it in the title unless we thought of a very witty, clever, hidden one. Yeah. Which we haven't yet. Nope. Maybe we will by then. <laughs> um, but otherwise, yeah, we're talking about this, uh, what's called muscle memory. Um, this is also sometimes referred to as motor memory or procedural memory. It's in the category of that are like working memory. And this all pertains to things that you just kind of do as you go throughout your day. Cool. Yeah. Super broad. Yeah, it is. Things you do. Yeah. Things, <laughs> yeah. So 
so I've, I've been taught that this like muscle memory is kind of like, uh, not that I would personally describe it this way. I think it's the way in which it's typically portrayed as some sort of muscle movements repeated over time. You have some sort of long-term muscle memory that shapes up and it allows the skill to be performed without sort of quote conscious effort. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's supposed to like, you kind of do this like deliberate practice and then all of a sudden there's this magical maintenance period in which you just, you got it. You're yeah. skilled. You're, yeah. you're fluent maybe. Uh, yes, great. I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm going to come back to that. Um, and so, yes, Ryan, you actually said it pretty much exactly. And uh, and I'm just going to, to put it in some other words to make sure that we have put enough context around okay. this. <laughs> okay, cool. So I like to refer to it as this coordinated movement that through the repeated practice becomes an effortless, almost unconscious thing. I promise I wasn't copying your show notes there. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. no, it's, but no, that's the, we had almost the exact same thing, which is yeah. pretty cool. And, uh, and especially because that, I mean, that is what it is. It's that idea that when you do these things, anything that you practice often enough, it becomes like a habit. It is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Why we do, we do. That actually, that has come up before. That's not the first time you've pitched that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So it, it falls into the similar category of things like habits. We talked about habit reversal in a previous episode, but yep. didn't really define habit at that time. And the, I'm also tentatively planning to review um, a book I'm currently reading called The Power of Habit. Ooh, that yeah. yellow one? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That okay. one, um, which has the name of our podcast in its title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But not through any coordinated effort there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely, and, definitely not. Yeah. No. We're not that big time. No. We, we found <laughs> it. I found it afterwards and, and thought, wow, that's awesome. I'm going to read that. <laughs> By the way, we might want to cut this out, but the, the, the Tony Robbins, why we do what we do. Yeah. Remember how we're like, we're not this Tony Robbins. Yeah. Talk? That was like 40 episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go see him in a couple of weeks. And Are you? Yeah. Cool. So I'm like, Hey, we started this thing. I mean, she, if I got some FaceTime with him, you know. should tell us about that when you get back. I will. Yeah. yeah. I'll record from the ground. Repeat awesome. Back. Okay. That'd be fun. Yeah. Okay. Please Rad. do. We'll do. We'll do. All right. Um, now, when we're talking about these things that are muscle memory, and I mean, most people probably have heard this term already, but this type of memory is often characterized as maintaining after very long periods of time without practice, sometimes years mm -hmm. or more decades for some people, and often without even being able to describe how you might go about doing it. So you might look at something you used to be able to do and say, I don't, I don't really remember how that works. Yeah. And yet when you actually sit down to do it, you're able to navigate it maybe with a little bit of hiccups and bumps, but you can yeah. mostly do it. Okay. Yeah. Right. I had, I had basketball coaches. And so when I was, I had a few that were like mentor me specifically for a couple of years during different times when I was learning how to like really play the game and consistently I'd be hit with like, it's muscle memory. It's muscle memory. Like you got to commit it to muscle memory. And right. Like, How do I do this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I could do this, if there's some sort of like matrix way to just like, boom, I've got it. Yeah. Then I would. Right. Everything would be a lot easier. That's I'd it. be achieving my goals a lot faster and just show me coach. Yeah. How do I do it? That's like not, that's that not great feedback of when someone <laughs> like accidentally knocks something over and you say, be careful. And you're like, yeah. okay, I'll go back in time and do that. Yeah. And if they <laughs> happen to be listening, there was a few coaches there that were really good at like, it's repeated practice and they'd break it down. But yeah. They were kind of, it was, it was, on the, it was on the line, you know, they, sure. were, they knew practice was key, but they were like, come on, just you, it's muscle memory. Yeah. <laughs> Get your muscle memory. Yeah. I think that stuff's also pretty big in like the fitness in industry in general. I found countless videos and I think partially is because of marketing as well. Yeah. But 
Yeah, there were some biological components I think I want to bring up later too that were kind of interesting. Yeah, I have a bunch of those. I want to come back to this uh, this idea that when we're talking about this repeated practice and it becomes really easy, we're essentially talking about becoming fluent in some skill. And now most of these we're talking about fluent in a skill that revolve that involves some kind of like motor movement, mm-hmm. so moving your arms or legs or even fingers. And there are others as well. Um, at the time that we're recording this, Stephen Hawking just re- recently passed away, but um, the way that he was able to speak was was that he could move his cheek a little bit, mm-hmm. as, as I understand it. And what he would do is he could stop um, a little thing that would scroll through um, letters, and he yeah. would stop on the letter, so he would type out a message that way. Yep. And so presumably he got much more fluent at producing messages by practicing doing this repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is you know this is the one place where he could still control those muscles. And um, other people, anything that you do that you get, you practice something often enough, it becomes this almost effortless, unconscious thing. And that's exactly what fluency is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so um, I just like to make sure we have that term in there to, to, to describe some of this. Now, what about relearning? Is relearning a part of this? Like, um, actually, there's, there's something there, right? Yeah, no, I'm really glad you brought that up because as we talked about in our memory episode, relearning um, refers to the extent to which you can more quickly learn a skill you have already learned in the past. Yeah. And now the, if you think about things that are just maybe a little bit more verbal, I'm thinking of, of like a math task or something. Like, okay. Wow, I haven't practiced trigonometry in forever. And mm-hmm. then you sit down with calculations and after a little bit of time, you, you can pick it up. This this is more like that riding the bike thing that maybe the first time you get on a bike after not having ridden in a decade, um, it you might have a little bit of a hiccup, but otherwise you pick it up pretty quickly. So it's um, that relearning piece is the decreased amount of time it takes to learn something a second time that yeah. after a long period of time mm-hmm. without practice. And that's that's very similar. That's wrapped up in this whole idea of, of the muscle memory is when you come back to something, you, you can pick it up more quickly the second, third, fourth, whatever time yeah. um, after having practiced it multiple times in the past. Now, this term muscle memory, though, I feel like it's a little bit misleading. Yeah, it seems like a bit of a misnomer. It's this thing that you can maybe uh, find and be able to, you know, magically increase. But I think there's a lot more that goes into it than we kind of colloquially talk about and speak about and believe. Yeah, and I think it's worth um, revisiting a little bit about understanding how memory works in general. But let's actually first dive into some of the physiological elements of muscle memory and what that means. Okay. Okay. You're largely going to have to lead this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in the brain, um, all over, there are specific areas that are important uh, that are involved in acquiring new skills and then maintaining and coming back to previously learned skills. And so part of the brain that will be involved in this is the prefrontal and the frontal cortex when you're initially learning. And then one that you will see all the time if you're trying to learn about muscle memory is the role of the cerebellum, Mm -hmm. which is in the brainstem. I found that everywhere when I was reading on this topic. Yeah. And that's pretty common. And it is part of this that one thing to understand, I believe we mentioned previously is that memory is not actually stored in any one place. It is uh, a largely integrated network of the rest of your body coordinated with a particular effort and related Mm to um, some particular cue where that association was originally made. Okay. Now, once a 
pattern of behavior becomes so fluent, it becomes like a habit. It becomes habitual um, and it becomes more of a, this procedural memory is another word that I used before to describe this um, or automatic memory sometimes. Uh, then you get a little bit more involvement from that base part of your brain that's lower that involves the cerebellum as well as the basal ganglia, um, which is also relevant in forming habits. And these parts of the brain are usually less active when engaged in what's called the declarative memory. This is the part that I spoke of before that's the difference between actually doing and saying about it. So the declarative memory is the part that we verbalize about those habits um, might not necessarily maintain and that's not using or being activated in the same parts of the brain that are being activated when we're doing these habitual things. Okay. And I mean it's obviously there's more going on than just that but for those people who are interested in understanding the components of neurology that are involved in this then it is useful. And I mean it is worth pointing out that even the best neuro uh, neurological science that we have it is not known exactly what storage or where the storage is because and probably because it doesn't really exist as i mentioned this is a coordinated effort with many parts of the body involving inputs from many other sensory organs maybe even all of them as well as the feedback systems that are involved in that and so kind of i don't know if there's necessarily a point in trying to pinpoint like the quote-unquote storage location of muscle memory but I guess just to say that if you're interested in that part of it, part, the important parts of the brain that are going to be involved in the overall um, development of these what look like fluent habits and tasks mm -hmm. includes things like the cerebellum and the basal ganglia, as well as the prefrontal and frontal cortex, especially as those skills are being initially learned. And it also depends a little bit on whether we're talking about fine motor movements or gross motor movements and I have a distinction about those I'll get to in a moment. Okay. So let me summarize. There's a lot of different parts involved and we don't necessarily like it all is contextual to some degree. Yeah. Depending on the skill. Yeah. basically. So, so like, where does this leave us with <laughs> Well, there's some important elements about understanding this in terms of just kind of memory in general and then what might be a little bit unique about this. And okay. I, I was thinking about how there is like melodic memory, like we're more likely to remember things if we sing them or have a rhyme associated with them. Yeah. So um, good artists have very strong melodic memory. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes. Sure. And then how <laughs> um, there are people who report that they ha they have a lot of memories that are linked to d different smells. So if they smell something that'll trigger some kind of reminiscing about an event that is related to that smell. Yeah. I've actually never really had that experience that I can recall. I remember s smells distinctly. Do you? Distinctly. I'm if not I'm in public and I pass by like, uh, say an ex-girlfriend's like a perfume. Yeah. Bam. Man. Everything flooded right there. <laughs> I, kn I know it's that's insane. true for a lot of people. Um, the, just not necessarily. I've never really had that experience. The smell of juniper trees. Yeah. Uh, flashes me back into the mountains when I was growing up uh, with my, my family, like out exploring yeah. um, outdoor activities galore. Yeah. Um, just yesterday, I was running at a place in here in Reno where there were some juniper trees. and They're just not locally here, like in the valley. Yeah. And as soon as I went by, I was just like, Poof, same thing. Yeah. I don't know why, but that one hits me pretty strong. Um, I have a very weak sense of smell. So I think I'm just not, I would have to practice a lot to get good at this, huh. I think. I think most people it's relatively easy. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I, I walked in the studio this morning before we were recording and there was an odd smell that I like does not distinctly in here. Oh yeah. And I was like, who was in here? What happened? <laughs> Why is it smell like this? 
Interesting. Don't know, but it, yeah, it triggers quick for me. All right. So there's that melodic memory, that smell memory, and then there's muscle memory. And we're really all talking functionally about the same thing. And what I mean by that is when I say that those are strong versions of memory likely to trigger past events pretty yeah. easily, it's that we're responding to a learned cue that persists over time and often over a long period of time, right? That is a beautiful way to describe memory. Thanks. I like it. <laughs> And the, that feedback component can involve not just feedback in terms of someone giving you feedback, but uh -huh. in the fact that it worked, that you did it correctly and you were you were successful in your attempt. So the and outcomes that it has. Yes, exactly. Cool. All right. And so another important part in understanding how this muscle memory thing works is looking at this from a sort of evolutionary perspective. Okay. And that is that the evolutionary trajectory that we have been on has resulted in a physiological organization of our body that is specifically, I don't want to say it's designed, but it has resulted in a design mm -hmm. to be as efficient as easy as possible. I mean, essentially what I'm saying is like, we are designed to be lazy creatures because we want to use as little energy and as little time as possible to <laughs> yeah. get through things. And the, I mean, the reason is that it is an ad, it's advantageous to have a physiology that supports that because then the things that we need to do to survive don't take very much energy mm -hmm. means that we can survive longer in periods of deprivation and with uh, smaller amounts of resources. Right. Um, now this increase in repeated practice means that we become more efficient at doing it. And therefore, as I said, we can devote less energy and attention and one way of thinking about that is less brain power, if you want to go there, yeah. um, to those actions that we need to do procedurally to get by. Yeah. Now, need is only based on how often we do it. So you don't necessarily need to know how to skateboard well, but if you practice it often enough, then our body sort of, it, it reacts to that in the same way as it would any other procedural thing mm -hmm. that we do, any habitual thing that would normally be in line with our survival. So it becomes this, easy to execute habit that you can just do like right away. Yeah. You don't even have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this does result into some changes in the physical structure of the tissue of our body. I mean, just looking at your building muscle, right? Yeah. There are clearly more, there's more there than there was before <laughs> if you're doing this exercise. Yeah. Um, that was, that was the one I was digging into. I saw that there's specifically with like muscle building. Cause this is a lot in the fitness industry of like, Hey, you get, you work your butt off for these gains. You get these gains of whatever it is that you're looking for. Say it's muscle building. Um, and then life happens. You take a few months off, everything's gone. You can actually rebuild it faster. And they're like, why is this happening? And it's like, is this really muscle memory? What's going on? It turns oh, out yeah. there's like, um, still a lot of evolving research, but there's like certain things like the myonuclei, like, ex like apparently more of them are developed when you're building, but then when you lose muscle, those aren't necessarily all lost. So it's able to rebuild quicker when it comes back. Well, and that's worth pointing out, actually, that's that's where I was going next, is the fact that when you change, when you engage in these practices, you're not just changing the muscles and the part of your body that you're exercising, because your brain is coordinating that effort in the first place. So you're changing everything that's involved in that coordinated effort, and to some degree. So if you're exercising, for example, your arms, you also are using the part of your brain and your motor cortex associated with your arms and the part of your brain associated with balance that allows you to be in that position, yeah. which involves your legs. And of course, then there's uh, how your body regulates digestion and metabolism in order mm -hmm. so that you can use energy efficiently. To do. All of that is involved in this complex yeah, process. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so what, what they have found that happens is this enhances those uh, motor neuron excitability, which means they're more sensitive to those type of movements and they're 
more likely to activate immediately in the time that you practice those things that you've been practicing. Okay. Again, it becomes more efficient because the system works faster, more quickly, and right away. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other part of it called the synaptogenesis, which refers simply to the forming of new connections between the neurons in the brain, which again comes the, back to the fact that what you're doing is you're coordinating the efforts of more parts of your body for a single task. That sounds like what the matrix was going for. Okay. Sweet. Right? Yeah. Yeah, basically. Now, this is also related to this idea of multitasking. And this is when the efficiency of a system is so high that you've gotten so habitual and easily practice, or you practice it so easily that the same level of attention is not needed. And you can go again to something, you can start doing something else. I'm really excited to jump into this topic as a separate one because yeah. I do know that the research says that we actually are not really good at this. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> um, but. I feel like I'm good at it sometimes. Well, and there and are, I'm probably pretty wrong. <laughs> I need to explore that. Uh, well, you are. And there are things that are going to be a little bit easier for us to do with multitasking. So, for example, if you are... It's uh, just really inter- interesting intersections with like fluency, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, if you are doing something that's relatively simple, like if you're just listening to music while you're walking, you're, you're technically doing those two things, but listening is a relatively passive activity where you aren't having to do multiple things. And the walking is something that is so habitual at that point that you don't necessarily need to put very much attention toward that either. Yeah. I put, so, all, I put all the heavy lifting in on walking early in my life, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and another one, um, if you make it slightly more complicated in chewing gum, now you actually have a muscle movement where you have to coordinate the, your tongue and your teeth and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But again, something that we do often enough chewing at least that it becomes <laughs> again worked on that one early in life yeah mastered fluent <laughs> very good what's next um that chewing and walking is not that difficult, but as soon as you start trying to do more complex things and especially things that require your attention quite a bit, yeah. then you, you really only can focus on one of those at a time. But again, as you said, let's save that for a future Yeah, yeah and I was joking, knowing that like there's a lot of coordinated things that are going on here and yeah. not everyone experiences are the same. I just want to be like, I, I have the lighthearted side of me as well over there. I mean, but the part of this is that I brought up the multitasking thing because that is sort of involved when you have something that you're so fluent at with respect to your muscles and your muscle or your muscular movements Mm -hmm. that those things will no longer require your attention. And I have seen when people talk about procedural memory and psychology, they usually just give a whole lot of examples, but don't really talk about what it is as if the examples are enough to tell you what it is. And often that happens when people don't really know what it is, but they can sort of say, this is what we orient to when we think about this concept. Uh And so what I see a lot is this whole idea of like, well, walking, which I've mentioned several times now, that's just part of our procedural memory because we can do it effortlessly. You don't have to think about putting one foot in front of the other. But my response to that, like that's what procedural memory is like we don't have to think about putting one foot in front of the other is you did when you were learning it (laughs) right this wasn't always an easy thing and so it's not that that in and of itself is procedural working memory it's the fact that after repeated practice and that becoming a just a part of your daily activity that that became that habit that most muscle memory that you can just move fluently um, through those things through that repeated practice and building up again those synaptic connections those parts of your brain and all of the relevant cues around that and how you relate to your external environment for example stairs gravity wind (laughs) like general forward motion (laughs) your gait your posture all of those things are involved in that activity and they're going to be a little bit different for almost everybody okay not to mention the world spinning at thirteen thousand miles an hour whatever it is yeah something like that lots of stuff going on 
Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's also worth pointing out that, as I mentioned, there's this like melodical memory and smell memory and all that. There's not really a pure distinction between muscle memory and other kinds of memory necessarily. Okay. okay? And so people who are interested in studying impairments in muscle memory, it's difficult to do that because it's not really clear what the impairment is as it might be related to other types of memory. And so arguably one of our brain's only jobs is to remember things. Now, obviously it does a lot. It you know, regulates our body to keep us alive and quote, remember. Yeah, yes. Quote, remember. Exactly. Okay. Um, yes. Be so careful there. Yeah. Well, and so what I mean by that is our, it is our brain's job to interact in a meaningful way with, the, with our environment. Mm -hmm. Um, and by that, I mean our job to do that because that's, we are, we are all part of our brain and no part are we disconnected. And if our brain was disconnected, it would no longer function because it would have no way of contacting the outside world and our body would have nothing to coordinate with itself. So you're saying it's an important organ. Yes, it is an important organ. Or organ. I think I said Oregon. Yeah, Oregon. I think you did too. Okay. Um, all right. So what's the difference between gross and fine motor here? Like, is there distinctions when it comes to muscle memory? Um, a little bit. Mostly, again, that these are sort of arbitrary distinctions to make. So we're talking about gross motor movements involve large muscle groups. So they like to give examples of kicking or like throwing things where you're using large muscles that take up your entire part of your limb. It makes sense. But there's also like there's little fine things that actually really matter when it comes to those gross motor actions being executed correctly right right so gross motor movement all often involves as you mentioned the fine motor movement and fine motor movement as is implied involves those small muscle movements and they often give the example of typing and uh, writing with a pencil and thing and pinching like things that involve just small uh, groups of muscles that are e executing small activities yeah and again small and large are relative terms here and kind of arbitrarily decided and they're both involved because it's like my my typing with my hands are, my hands are attached to my arms, so my arms are also doing something. Yeah. You know, um, if my hands were just floating here typing, I would be alarmed um, and maybe want to be in like a circus or something. But I would. <laughs> I would enlist them for help on all the typing activities I need to do. Yeah. Or I'd be really, really good at like fixing things in small spaces because I could just send my hands in there to go do things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Elon Musk will help us reach this world. There we go. Somebody. Some people have described that what appears to be happening with people is they're developing better fine motor movements. And one of the reasons this might be um, could be due to the fact that there is technology all around us that involves fine motor movements. So typing on a keyboard, using yeah. small gestures on screens like phones and tablets, um, and, and manipulating other small objects involved in making and executing and generally using technology all involve really small, fine movements that we can become really sensitive to those small changes. Um, and so what's probably happening is that where we didn't have as many opportunities as a species for that centuries ago, we're getting really, really good at these fine motor movements because the circumstances have both selected for and allowed for that kind of practice to develop. Yeah. Does make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And one other really important thing I think before we move on from this is that some of the implications of this are, they're kind of big and they're throughout different medical research as well as other psychological research. But there's one area in particular I'm pretty excited about. And that is that there's some amount of evidence to suggest that building some of these habits that involve learning through action, which is to say learning those motor movements. And as we're talking about here, muscle memory, 
there's some evidence to suggest that that can help prevent or even slow down the effects of Alzheimer's um, and people who are predisposed to have that condition. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't remember the exact citation, but I remember reading uh, in an article that they were finding somewhere around like the adolescence age is when developing these sort of skill sets actually could help prevent the onset of such things. Neat. How they made the connections across that are insane. And yeah. I don't understand all of them, but it was from a rep, like it's from a place that I've dug into a lot of the research before that big one in uh, Embry. Okay. Uh, article evidence-based kernels. Oh, right, looking, right, right. They're looking at the fundamental units of like behavioral influence, essentially. We should revisit that one probably yeah. on here. Yeah. That'd be neat. Okay. So, We've talked a lot about the, the things that are involved in this and some of the implications. Now it's time to understand how this works. All right. Flashback. Bring in these ideas and notions of cues, right? Yeah, we exactly. We talk about them a lot when it comes to memory and why we do what we do. <laughs> yep. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> you did. And so what we didn't discuss last time that we talked about memory was the fact that the cues themselves, they can be embedded in the actions that you perform, which is to say, for example... If you swing a golf club in a manner that reminds you of what it feels like to swing a baseball bat, then you might have similar patterns of movement based on the same sort of cues involved in how the muscles move and one activity related to the other. I was golfing at like just an open driving range with someone uh, mm -hmm. two days ago, and uh, she plays a lot of softball and never golfs. And she picked it up and like did a couple swings like as if it was a softball bat. Sure. Yeah. Often you're talking about. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. And often musicians find that moving from one instrument to another can be, depending on how similar those movements are, can actually be relatively easy to pick up because they're so used to many of the similar types of movements. Now, for those that are very different, it might be a little bit more difficult, although probably easier than someone who's just learning for the first time. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, so anytime that we're talking about the, these muscle memory, one of those cues that can be involved in executing a motor task is simply um, the relative position of the muscles and the movement of those muscles related to the task and that those themselves can be part of the cue involved in evoking the memory of how to do it. So I crumple up my wrapper after I eat my sandwich at work and it, brrr, and it gets just happened to be in the position of how I used to shoot a basketball. Yeah. And I see across the way from like three point range. Yeah. The basket, the waste basket. Sure. So I'm likely to shoot, right? Yeah. And that's, that's what you're talking about here? Uh, absolutely. Those, those similar, like the way in which I position my hands and those sort of things are the cues that trigger that sort of uh, response. Yeah, you can get your muscles in the same sort of arrangement that will allow you to successfully cast that piece of paper to the trash can yeah. at such a distance. <laughs> now, another thing that can exist, at least with respect to that example. And totally is, make it, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> is the fact that the sometimes the, the weight of the basketball and the feel of the basketball can also serve as part of those cues. Yep. So you might be a little less likely to make it if uh -huh. the wrapper is too dissimilar. Yep. But maybe if you practice with a whole bunch of different types of um, of sports equipment that you yeah. are you are shooting, um, that those you might actually be able to generalize more easily to things that are pretty different if you uh -huh. still have built up the same cues with respect to the muscle movements. Yeah. All right. Similar to that, besides the muscles and cells themselves, muscle memory still consists of this repeated practice in the presence of relevant cues. So I was just talking about how those movements can be the cues, but, and then I also mentioned with the basketball example that the, the elements of the circumstance in which you do it can also still have those cues. And those cues are still really important here. And that means that once 
that those cues have been powerfully associated with the process itself because of that extensive history of practice yeah. and the presence of those cues. So that in combination with the increased neuromuscular growth that is associated with repeatedly doing that same sort of thing and getting more and more, more and more efficient at it, there was a significant amount of association built with the other memory external cues that were involved in learning that process. Mm -hmm. And so subsequently, those cues are likely to evoke that same sort of response even after a long period of time because you're doing that exact thing that we discussed in the in the memory and in the forgetting episode yeah. of you are uh, strengthening that response and strengthening the association of, association of that response to the relevant cues. So like other memories, it's important to understand that muscle memory, quote unquote, for whatever that is, can be forgotten in the same sense that it can be uh, reprogrammed and rewritten or atrophy from disuse. Yeah. And that those cues can be uh, associated with other responses instead later. However, because of the nature of this practice, it seems to be pretty robustly defended against the likelihood that it will be forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of wrap that up into an example, I go to the driving range every once in a while. And it's just like a water fun driving range. You ever been to it here in Reno? I haven't. And I'm always up for just being kind of a jokester, having fun and like enjoying my time. So when I was there, I remember seeing a commercial. So I was with my brother, and my dad, and I remember seeing a commercial of a golfer that like threw the club over the top of his like uh, left shoulder and it like rolled around his neck and he caught it on the other side and like hit the golf ball. Nice. And I was like, no, but like, I know those things are real. Yeah. It's just like, come on. So uh, I, I, I showed you a video before this of me like practicing it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. I don't know what it was. I didn't count probably like 300, 350 times before I finally got it down. Wow. 15 or 20 minutes, like sweating and keep dropping it and frustrated. But then I went back, what, six months later and I had part of the muscle movement still down, but I'd lost other parts of it. Cause I, I mean, I didn't practice it nearly as much as I would have say on like my basketball shot, which was like a decade that I practiced for. Right. Yeah. And also it was, um, it was just that one day. Right. Yeah. So that, a that atrophy of like the, it, like I lost that skill set, but some of it was still there. Yeah. And part of it was like, I know that the cues, I need to pay attention to like what cues do I feel right? Like that trigger the right response. Um, and I try to watch for those, but I can't all the time. Like well, it, just, it takes a lot of practice under these scenarios. Well, most of the time we don't really attend to what those cues are. Sometimes we do. Yeah. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of times they're just part of it. And so they well, are I try relevant. To, yeah. I try to pay attention to them and I still can't pay attention to them. Yeah. It's a little frustrating sometimes. I'm like, well, I'm just going to throw this a hundred times and see what happens. It's fair. <laughs> all right. So. That's actually pretty much most of what I had on this. And so I think I'm in a good place to wrap it up if you are. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Take so, homes on muscle memory. Yeah, Ready, set, go. Well, I was going to start by saying it was kind of our goal to try and start keeping these around the half hour, 45 minute mark. So how are we doing? Uh, we're, we're right in there. We're at 30. Well, I'm not going to say, but we're, we're right in there. Very nice. Yeah. So to wrap this up, muscle memory is essentially the ability to easily and efficiently execute some previously learned task that involves muscular actions. So different from maybe just remembering like academic tasks or facts. So something like it's different than our memory palaces that we talked about. Right. Yeah. Yes. yeah which is almost entirely language, right? Yep. Muscle memory is also not really significantly different from how other memory works, except that it's likely to be remembered so much, so much better because of all the things that we talked about in the memory episode and the forgetting episode. So namely that 
forgetting can be caused by those by insufficient practice right mm -hmm. now with muscle memory it's created through extensive repeated practice yeah <laughs> so this is significantly reducing the likelihood of being forgotten with re respect to that process of forgetting because the practice is just part of it so it, that's that's one th reason that it's unlikely to be forgotten another is that we talked about forgetting happens when cues are insufficient to evoke the response but again coming back to muscle memory this involves building a complex network of cues including multiple multiple parts of the brain and muscle movements and the body as well as all those external cues associated with that repeated practice yeah so you're building this really rich network of cues that's unlikely to be forgotten and i mean again this is doing it's almost like if you're thinking about forgetting that you're programming for not forgetting yeah yeah by taking all the things that happen when we forget and just making sure that that doesn't happen in developing this skill and then the last one is that forgetting can happen when cues lose their effect and or are overwritten by other experiences. Yeah, so other experiences like rewrite that history kind of. Right. Yeah. And this can happen with muscle memory, but it's a little bit less likely to just because of how rich and complicated those muscle cues and, and those other external cues can be. And so it's, again... It's, it might be fair to say that muscle memory is sort of like a more intense, involved version of regular memory. Memory on steroids? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all pumped up. <laughs> oh, I um, love it. Muscle memory, memory on steroids. Yep. Yeah, I think the take home for me is just like memory is responding to these cues over time. Yeah. Like, look at it that way. It's pretty simple. Yep. And those strategies you talked about can help um, when it comes to building and such. And your last words here are beautiful. Say them, say them, say them, Abraham. <laughs> All right, so muscle muscle memory is not magical, it's fluent. Yes, that is your take home. This is the Why We Do What We Do podcast. Do you have anything else? Nope, that's it. Thank you for listening. This is Ryan O. This is Abraham. We are out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. <laughs>